Hello and welcome to podcast number 14 of The Golfing Mind. I'm your host, Robin Seeger, and welcome. At the moment, we've been talking about uh, putting, and I'd like today, continuing on that theme, look at two distinct areas. One is about the excuses that the average amateur golfer makes as to why they're not becoming better at putting. And I'd also just to look at a certain mindset, I think it'd be well worth most people adopting. The average amateur golfer plays golf for fun, and that's marvellous. And they want to play well because we enjoy things more when things go well. It's a simple fact of life. And yet I see more upset on the putting green than any other part of the golf course. I see more people just almost beside themselves with rage, frustration, the ignominy of um, a missed short putt, the tragedy of uh, fate bestowing upon them no luck at all. And when I ask them, why don't you practice your putting? They'd always say to me, there's a couple of great excuses, but the number one excuse I get is I'm too busy to practice. I'm too busy to practice, Robin. Now, if you don't want to practice, don't practice. I'm, I'm all in favor of uh, the right to do what you want, when you want. I'm never going to tell you to practice if you don't want to practice. But if you want to become better at anything, then it's beholden on you to invest time in learning about it and becoming better at it. And saying that you've got no time, you're too busy, you know, and when I say too busy doing what, they go, well, you know, work, family duties, um, odd jobs around the house, and yet you'll find time to sit and watch television. You'll find time to uh, slope off and lounge around. You'll find time to have a cocktail perhaps at six in the evening or a beer with your friends one or two nights a week. I'm not judging you. I'm certainly not suggesting that you should forgo those things. But what I am saying is that if, if you really want to improve your putting, you truly want to improve your putting, then you have to make time to practice. And I think five minutes a day or 15 minutes every two or three days is going to show dividends much faster than you might imagine. So when it comes to being a bad putter in your own mind or considering yourself to be a bad putter, and I then see a serious student and I say, well, what's the problem? Here's some of the excuses I get. The second excuse I hear a lot is, Robin, I've tried everything, but nothing works for me. This excuse makes me want to get a handkerchief out for the pity party that's about to begin. It reminds me of the overweight person who says they've tried every diet known to mankind, but they still can't lose weight. Now, we know that's not true. What is true is that nothing will work unless we believe it's going to work and we commit to making the changes we want which means we take action. And most people who say they've tried everything, they've tried shortcuts, they've tried instant fixes, they've not committed to any course of action that will show results in the longer term. Excuse number three that I like is, I've always been a poor putter. Now, people will tell me this. They go, nah, I've always been a poor putter, Robin. You know, it's just, I've never been good at putting. I hear this one from people who think that putting is an aspect of the game you either have a gift for or you don't. It's like someone who says they can't play the piano because 
they've never been musical. The skills we require to putt well are not wholly instinctive. At the very beginning of uh, my book on putting, I described how people who'd never picked up a putter before could quite rapidly, without instruction, begin to make a workable putting stroke. There's a lot we can do to develop mechanical skills, but to label ourselves poor players, incapable of change, simply because it's the way we've always been, becomes, I'm sorry to say, a a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't recommend that as an excuse at all. Don't even think of yourself as a a bad putter or a poor putter. You can say you've been an unsuccessful putter to date, but it can always change. Another excuse I hear is, I've tried so many different putters, I can't find one that's right for me. You know the old analogy, we have a bad workman always blames his tools. It may be an old cliche, but like most cliches, it holds a kernel of truth. I've seen too many people putt well with poor rental clubs over the years to believe that. Technically, the putter makes such a huge difference. If you can't find any putter you're comfortable with, it's not the club that needs fixing. Trust me. Any golfer improves their chances of making more putts if they see practice as an opportunity, not a chore. There are a number of well-known golfers who absolutely love to practice. Equally, there's some of the best-known golfers in the game who didn't like to practice and would do their best to keep it to a minimum before they go and play. It is individuals who decide what works for them. But if you're someone who loves to practice, then you're going to enjoy the process. We need to create a series of practice drills to address specific issues we may have on the green. Colin Montgomery was uh, always concerned about his close putting. He was never comfortable with putts below about three or four feet, so he developed a routine at the end of his practice session where he would have to sink 200 putts from this critical length. He would count to 200. If he missed one, he would go back to the beginning. When was the last time you practiced 200 three-footers? One of the most important questions we have to ask ourselves is why we play golf in the first place. I would suggest it's because we enjoy it. We enjoy the game, the camaraderie, the skill, the competition, and the satisfaction we get when it goes right. Specifically, our putting. This will destroy not only our confidence, but also our enjoyment of the game and our performance on the course. Despite my irreverence about the excuses players use to explain why they can't putt, I do empathise with the suffering brought about by loss of confidence. It must be dreadful to walk onto a putting green with the expectation that you can three-putt from just about anywhere. I've spoken to former professional golfers who were world-ranked players who told me they became anxious every time they walked onto the green. In their minds, they had no idea how they were going to putt. They'd lost their sense of touch and feel. They experimented with their stroke. They changed their putters frequently. They no longer felt they were in control. And they knew their days in the tour were numbered. And some even gave up the game forever. Ben Hogan is still regarded as one of the greatest golfers of all times. Hogan stopped winning when he developed the yips. Yips is a wonderful word, but a horrible concept. The yips is a stroke-inhibiting action which becomes seemingly impossible to fix. 
It may consist of twitches, staggers, jerks, or even simply the inability to bring the putter back from the ball. From tee to green, Ben Hogan was as good at 50 as he'd been at 30, but he could no longer putt. His confidence was gone. He had once been one of the most reliable putters from eight feet and under early in his career. Hogan's most glorious year was 1953. He was 41. He won three majors, but did but little did he know that he would never win another. His putting began to let him down. On subsequent occasions, he reached the 72nd hole of the US Open, needing two putts to reach a playoff, in which he knew he would be tough to beat. On both occasions, he three-putted. He knew his putting had become suspect and it bothered him. He actually campaigned to reduce the importance of putting by lobbying to have the size of the golf cup increased. He argued that the game would be improved by rewarding the better ball strikers who hit the green in regulation. His proposal never got that much support. Hogan never came to terms with his yips. His competitive career was over. He received thousands of letters from fans around the world with suggestions of how he could cure his problems. Legend has it, he read every one of them, but never found the cure. Hogan's putting demise is an example of despair at its worst. The player loses hope. Medical experts who have studied survivors of hazardous situations say that, without exception, it is those who keep hope alive who have the greatest chance of survival. In those who give up, hope dies. In terms of improving our putting game, we must never lose hope. Failure to improve is only final when we accept it to be so. This happens when we give up believing in our ability to transform our game. We are responsible for our own ability to become better putters. Our teaching professional can give us the information and advice we require to become technically better, but it's up to us to turn theory into practice. If we genuinely believe we can improve, we have taken the first critical steps to transforming our potential on the green. Belief is everything. Belief in your ability to improve is so important. So whatever you do, please don't give up. Don't lose confidence. Don't give up hope that you can become a better player, especially on the greens. If you'd like more information about the work I do and the online programs available, please go to my website, www.seagergolf.com, where there is more information on the online courses and coaching opportunities that exist. Until we speak again, all the best. Play great golf.